This is My Montessori Life, a podcast that holds up a unique lens to contemporary social, cultural, and political issues. Maria Montessori aimed to reform humanity by building a better human being from the start, preparing young children for a life of profound self-determination, empathy, and wisdom, everything to which an advanced civilization should aspire. The podcast's regular hosts are Barbara Isaacs, President of Montessori Europe and one of the world's leading authorities on Montessori, and David Getman, author of the teacher's textbook, Basic Montessori, and founder of the software firm, My Montessori Child, which sponsors this podcast. In this first of three podcasts on the theme of equality, Barbara and David discuss Dr. Montessori's moral mission to bring autonomy and human dignity to every individual starting with the very youngest in society, who hitherto had no advocate against and no protection from the manipulation and expectations of the adults around them. Barbara, welcome back. This is um, uh, wonderful that we can, despite lockdowns and other um, obstacles, that we can still do our podcast. So um, very excited to be talking about this new topic, equality. Thank you very much, uh, David. I'm delighted that we are able to continue with these podcasts and that uh, we are able to continue our conversations and continue to explore um, diverse ideas um, relevant to our current existence. So Montessori often spoke about a new future for humanity or mankind, she sometimes said, and that would appear to include everybody. But um, did she, um, to your knowledge, did she explicitly address racism, cultural diversity, the way we think about it today? Um, I don't actually believe that in her day there was such an awareness of um, diversity. And um, I often think of her world still being very uh, black and white. If you think about Italy, if you were not married, you wore white. And if you were married, somebody in your family has died and then you wore black. Uh, so I think that um, just as an example of what um, a life must have been like in her day, um, she also felt that she did not wish to make any political statements she very cleverly circumnavigated all these issues. Uh, But as we discussed before, she was a feminist. She did believe in women's rights um, and she was committed to peace. However, for her, um, the vocabulary that she uses can be quite offensive these days because she's writing more than 100 years before our time. So she uses very different kind of language. Uh, And um, we can find it offensive. She never ever spoke directly about the issues of equality, but she was very aware of the fact that we cannot have peace in the world without social justice. So again, indirectly, she sends us on the path of inquiry that we make today. 
So yes, I think that there's no evidence that she was racist or held racist views. And part of the evidence in, in favor of her openness was that she wanted to bring her method to every country and every culture in the world. She didn't say, oh, they don't deserve it or, or they're not suitable. Um, but in, in the modern sensibility about racism, people say it's, it's not enough just to be non-racist, um, that you have to be anti-racist in order to make progress in this area. Um, are there ways in which we could think of the things she said and did as being anti-racist? I think that we can certainly interpret her writing in this context because she, again, in context of the um, peace discussions that she carries on in her book, um, Education and Peace, she is very specific about the fact that in order education needs to spearhead this process, but also that our education doesn't focus enough on the spiritual aspects of our existence. And for me, those spiritual aspects would um, acknowledge the needs for consideration for everybody, um, care and um, interconnectedness of all of us. Um, for me, I always interpret it in the context of being really mindful of the children's individual stories and being mindful of the teachers' and my colleagues' stories, but also being mindful of the stories of the communities which tell us something about them and that we need to be respectful of those. I, I know that uh, she was drawn early on in, in her work to um, children in poor and uh, poor communities, disadvantaged families. Um, perhaps some of those families were from social groups that were alien to her own. So although, you know, maybe the same racial derivation in, in a way, they were not her people. Um, and so she definitely seemed to be interested in, in working with others who were outside her own community. Yes, I think that that is very much so. And that's very evident, uh, particularly in the writing she makes about the work with the families in the first children's house in Rome. But there, it, I think what she feels is that she needs to educate not only the children, but also families for better life. So she, in today's context, she takes quite superior view that it is her role to make their lives better. And of course, I'm sure that their lives would become better by becoming literate and numerate and getting better jobs. But when we talk about equity today, we are really looking at um, what those families can bring to us and incorporating everybody's life and respecting the life of those families for what it is, rather than being somehow more superior in our attitudes of thinking that we have got um, the tools to fix them. And to some extent, for me, this is the issue of this early childhood education in the UK today. We are so focused in the political agenda on um, providing better opportunities for the 
underprivileged children or the children who don't have, but we only want to give them in the context of what we think is worthwhile having instead of really understanding the fact that they bring something to our lives too and that there is an opportunity for us to learn from them. I would say that, yes, that's absolutely true. Um, in the BAME community, there seems to be a resistance to vaccinations, which we're told comes from a lack of trust of authority, lack of trust in the people who are supposedly serving um, the, the families in need, um, but actually there's no trust on their side. And it may be for exactly the reason you mentioned. Um, so when in Montessori's time, of course, we had the Holocaust. And um, so I could imagine almost everybody in public life at that time must have commented on or had a view on racism towards Jews and gypsies and other groups who were um, persecuted and murdered in the Holocaust. Um, that must have been at the forefront of Europe's conscience after World War II. Was there any record of her views on that? I have absolutely no evidence um, from my personal reading that Montessori actually commented on the Holocaust. But she again uh, put all her energies into creating UNESCO, creating an organization that would promote culture and cooperation and uh, kind of spiritual enlightenment of the community in Europe. And for that reason, I think, again, it's a, it's a good example of her circumnavigating or um, um, looking, uh, looking how she could address something, not in the politically current way, but still be able to make a contribution. I know that in, in some uh, churches, they still talk about um, the deserving poor, um, which is obviously not designed to <laughs> instill um, respect and, and deference um, towards authority. So um, I think that kind of concept was uh, very prevalent in her time. So she can be forgiven for maybe using um, language about, you know, us taking care of the poor rather than uh, what we would think of today as working together to build a better society overall. I think it, that also reflects um, her day and the the need to, for us really thinking that it's, it's really tricky, isn't it? The use of language, because yes. <laughs> um, she 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 must have felt that she was doing the right thing in the context of her own personal experience and in the context of the values that she ascribed um, to education and to what she has done for children. So, yes, the language doesn't sit yeah. comfortably with us, but if you read below the language and if you look at what she wanted for children, um, then perhaps she does still have a lot to offer us. Oh, I think she definitely has a lot to offer. Um, I mean, when you talk about matters spiritual, um, it, it kind of reaches across the ages, doesn't it? Which is why religions are able to persist for centuries or even longer. Um, did she herself suffer any prejudice against her and her family due to her 
native country's Catholicism because she um, obviously went to countries where, let alone Christianity, um, Catholicism was not um, the mainstream. I know that in America there's a lot of prejudice against Catholics even today. Um, when Kennedy was elected president, there was um, it created a lot of animosity in the in the politic in the body politic. So. As she promoted her pedagogy around the world, did she have to concern herself with prejudice against her background? I wouldn't believe that this was so. Because, for example, if you think about uh, her relationship um, with um, Asia and uh, the fact that she was able to um, continue to work very effectively in India during the Second World War. I don't think that she has felt uh, prejudiced against her Catholicism, but I think she felt that she was prejudiced because she was a woman. I think she felt um, she was um, prejudiced because she wanted to become a doctor. And um, even though her time in India was very productive, the fact that she was Italian has meant that she was not able to leave India for six years. So, um, and that was not to do on the basis of uh, race or belief. It was based on the fact that by the time Second World War was declared, Italy was effectively uh, uniting with Germany and then Japan against the rest of the world. Yes, of course. But when she, when she and her son were arrested in India, did they? Was what were the charges? Was it just being it, from it was an, on the an, basis, an enemy state, so to speak? Yeah. yeah, it was on the basis that they were Italian. They had Italian passports, therefore they were considered alien. And I think it's interesting that they released Montessori very quickly, but they. Um, held uh, Mario in prison for a little bit longer. And it was the Viceroy of, Viceroy of India who gave special permission for him to be released as a present for her 70th birthday. Oh, right. Uh -huh. <laughs> so they obviously <laughs> had respect for her ideas, even if her background you know, was potentially a, a hampering factor. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, so are there countries or cultures today where you think Montessori practice might be considered unacceptable because of, in today's parlance, her, her white privileged European origins? I mean, I, I'm always surprised at how welcoming other societies are to the Montessori approach, you know, particularly, for example, in the Middle East, um, and in many parts of Africa, um, uh, let alone in you know Asia and in mainland China. So I think that um, there are uh, you know it, it, there are people who you know might question it in in today's culture, um, but I don't think that's actually been an obstacle. Are you aware of of anywhere that's that's just dismissed it because of her background? I'm not aware of any country that would not welcome Montessori's ideas um, or Montessori's vision for the child and for education. I think that um, this is where her apolitical stance has probably helped her. But once again, um, 
her ideas for education tend to be welcomed by the educated. And so we continue to have this niche market for Montessori education um, within those communities where the families can pay for Montessori education. Um, it has been yes. wonderful to see that there are countries where the government has committed or has made it possible for these niche approaches to education to be accepted within the um, state sector. And particularly in the United States, the public Montessori schools are really um, doing well and have got their own infrastructure where they are ensuring that the quality of education received by children attending these um, public Montessori schools is of high standard. Um, in a recent conversation with the Nienhaus representative um, um, about the sale of their equipment, he also mentioned that, for example, in Germany, where there is quite a good proportion of state-funded um, German primary and secondary schools, um, the children the, those schools have continued to thrive during lockdown. They have continued to buy equipment because they have got a government commitment to education to children, whereas the privately run schools have been suffering because they didn't have the same flow of um, finance to support what they do. So it is really interesting that, and in Holland, we have always had state-run Montessori schools from the 1940s because of the way how the Dutch education law operates. Um, so it is interesting that there are opportunities for Montessori to Montessori education to be offered through state funds, but those opportunities are quite limited globally. Yes, and I think that's always, yeah, absolutely. It's always been a challenge to to help Montessori ease its way into this into the state system. I think it still suffers from, you know, some people believing it's a kind of cult or a, you know, a bit too mystical for mainstream education. So um, when actually those are probably the things that mainstream education would benefit from most um, is the spiritual side of it. Um, but I, I, even though it's, I mean, well, given the fact that it's popular mainly in middle and upper middle class communities around the world, I can imagine some people today who are ac activists in in the area of equality would accuse Montessori, the Montessori pedagogy, of being a kind of product of systemic racism, or maybe even perpetuating it. Um, wh what do you think, um, Dr. Montessori, would have to say in in response to that? Those kinds of accusations. I think she would be horrified if people accused her of this. Um, I don't think that she would have ever intended it in that way. But of course, um, all our ideas about um, what education means and what it has to offer uh, uh, to children and to families and to communities are evolving. And therefore, um, how we perceive what education needs to give to children today is different to what it would have been in Montessori's day. And therefore, um, I think that there is an issue how 
we train Montessori teachers. I think that there is an opportunity to review um, the emphasis on the underlining principle of the approach. I think that there is um, quite a lot of emphasis on the use of Montessori materials um, and somehow the importance of um, the child's um, autonomy, the importance of the child's being part of a um, social group and being part of family and community is often undermined by us looking, focusing too much on the individual without understanding that that was not what Montessori ever intended. She wanted us to promote the individual potential of each child, but she was very keen on enabling the child to be part of the social group. She talks very explicitly about uh, the social cohesion which emerges in the first towards the end of the first plane of development. Children become very much part of um, the social group. And traditionally, early years education has always been about the socialization process of the child, for the child learning to be a member of society um, alongside being a member of um, the family and being a member of the community from which they come. And in that context, um, there doesn't seem to be any issue about, um, or we need to think as uh, as educators about what we really mean by equity. And uh, I'm sure that as we continue our conversation, we will heard, hear from our guests, Zainab and Liz, about the lack of white people's understanding of the personal stories of the children that come to our classrooms. Recently, I have been rereading a book by Vivian Gassin Paley called The White Teacher, which she had written in 1973. I was shocked when I actually oh, wow. looked at the, mm -hmm. at the original mm -hmm. date. And in it, she already mm -hmm. brings up all these issues um, but she's, she says it's really, really difficult for us as the white community to really see the impact we have had on the children within um, communities of color because um, we bring our own ideas too much to the fore without listening enough to what the children have to say or paying enough attention to the individual children. And in that context, I think Montessori has a lot to offer to us. She definitely always urged us to get to know the individual child. But now we need to think not only about the cognitive capacities of that individual child, we need to think about the emotional well-being, the need for that child to be connected to their family, the recognition of the riches that the child brings um, from their home background, and accepting it as valuable, um, even though we may not always understand it fully, because we interpret yes. the children's learning often in the context of, of our own experiences. Absolutely. I, I, I have always thought of the absorbent mind as a kind of natural expression of the acceptance of the group in which they, in which they live. So the absorbent mind absorbs 
um, everything around them, the social environment as well. And so, as you say, the socialization of the child is an essential part of their cognitive development, where they they absorb and see the ways that people have of of behaving and thinking and believing around them, and and bringing that in and integrating that with their own personal um, priorities and approaches. It's interesting to speculate what um, Maria Montessori would have um, considered if someone asked her, you know, uh, haven't you had the benefits of white privilege? Um, and it'd be, I'm sure she would have had a very uh, sensitive and insightful response. Um, but as a leader of Montessori training, would would you say that there's still a kind of latent institutional racism in teacher training organizations or, or the ones you're familiar with? Well, I have always felt that we have been, one of the beauties of my training experience has been that I have had an opportunity to meet so very many um, um, future Montessori teachers who have come from very wide backgrounds and uh, broad, wide experiences. Um, Montessori teacher training has always in the UK been very, very international. So there has been um, inclusivity, but of course, that inclusivity has been uh, based on the capacity to pay for the training. So it has not been fully open to uh, to people who may have been interested. Um, but I think that um, the, the white privilege is very persistent um, in terms of, if you look at the Montessori teacher trainers, uh, the Montessori teacher training community is effectively white. If we think about um, the language through which we deliver, we deliver fundamentally through English around the world uh, because it is through uh, uh -huh. English that we control the quality of the training. Um, so, um, Is that even true in the, a place like China or in, in South Africa? Absolutely. Is it yeah. is that true that I, I, English predominates? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The I have only just seen recently that um, the Montessori Pearson, Pearson Publishing Company have started to make their books available in Spanish, uh, which ah. wasn't um, <laughs> which didn't happen five years ago. Um, it's really looking at the possibilities of. Uh, development of the Montessori approach in South America, but for Montessori to be really inclusive and universally available, we should be able to do the teacher training in the language of the country in which we deliver. And that is not happening. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, and if you yeah. think about... No, it, it, I think we have a long... long a long way to go in in terms of internationalizing the teacher training. Yeah, I, I we do we have uh, we work with schools abroad, but almost all of them are bilingual schools. So it's the English seems to be the medium through which they've acquired their Montessori expertise, and then they themselves have interpreted that for their local culture in South America and in Asia and in the Middle East. So um, yeah, but that's it's it's still a, a long road to to making it a truly global movement. 
Yes, and we need to think to ourselves about the influence of the internet, which is fundamentally delivered in English. Um, you know, um, I know that uh, most of the software packages now have opportunities for translation, but the translation, still the ease of communication through English um, seems to be something that is globally accepted. So that perpetuation of the English language um, continues. Um, but there's some really interesting work on the use of language uh, by Trisha Mokino, a Montessori trainer in Mexico, who had worked in the United States and has returned to her community in Mexico because she felt it was really important to deliver the Montessori experience through the language of her community because it is through the language mm -hmm. that you perpetuate the culture. And yes, of course, it's good for us to be conversant in several languages because it gives us little glimpses into different cultures. But if you have a community which specifically uses a certain language that demonstrates their um, uniqueness, then that language should be the key language in which the children are taught because it becomes very important to their culture. So I think we agree that Montessori um, as a movement has a long way to go um, in developing geographically, but there's also the dimension of time and history. So, um, you know, how is Montessori coming to terms with something we've already talked about, the change in the language that we use, um, but also in its regard for historical records? So um, what would Montessori have said, for example, about recasting history itself in light of modern sensibilities. A lot of people now talk about not celebrating with statues and, and, and um, courses, historical figures who were involved in um, things like the slave trade. W do you think the Montessori community, I mean, I'm not sure um, if she commented on this directly herself, but it, would the Montessori community be interested in that? I think there are certainly um, step towards it. Um, for example, um, Tammy Esting in the USA has produced a really interesting training program on um, celebrating special occasions with children and challenging some of our tokenistic approaches to celebrating the key festivals um, um, which grown out of the key religions in the world. Um, and I think that is an interesting perspective. I think as a Montessori community, when we look at um, uh, the idea of educating the child as a citizen of the world, um, we often use our um, continental folders and artifact boxes to bring these different continents closer to the children. And I think that we all need to revisit um, these materials to ensure that we don't give a very um, colonial perspective of the children in Africa. Um, we need to also acknowledge that, um, for example, the universal um, global um, attire of most children these days is 
T-shirts, jeans, and sneakers, not the national costume, how we try to sometimes <laughs> right. represent yeah. these, um, these countries. <laughs> um, but there are opportunities for us to also so show children that there are differences in the world, in the way how we um, live. Uh, you know, for example, if you explore the use of water in different countries, in on different continents, it becomes very clear that um, in parts of um, the world, water is the most treasured resource because you don't have access to yeah. running water. And I think it is through exploring how we use our natural resources. It's through exploring how um, we um, understand where our natural resources come from that Montessori would have liked to take uh, children of today. She would want to show them that we are so interdependent on the resources around the world. And, you know, if you look at uh, the mobile phone, uh, our mobile phone wouldn't exist without the natural resources that come from the Congo. And they are taken all the way to China. Yeah, and, uh, you know, so it is... Um, it is the work um, that people currently do on the sustainable development and uh, bringing some of the ideas of sustainable develop in development into the Montessori classroom should really be the focus of our work today because we need to begin to respect um, understand more the interconnectedness of the world in terms of experiences of children in the classroom, actually understanding how long it takes the banana to get to their table and what journey it makes may make them aware uh, that this is a precious bit of fruit that they are eating, not something that is offered to them every day. So we are kind of gradually yeah. re-evaluating um, our resources and what is accessible to the, to us. I think that reevaluation is happening across many issues, um, resources, and and of course connected to climate change, which is of course connected to um, species diversity, which is connected to then um, racial equality. So this intersectionality of all of the issues facing us um, as a global community now. Is um is becomes more apparent the more time moves on. There there was you mentioned this book that you were reading in the in the uh, written in the seventies. There was of course a um a black power movement in the U.S. Um, in the late sixties and early seventies. Mm. Um, it um ended up with uh, quite a lot of enlightenment. There was a, a at the same time people were starting to protest against the Vietnam War, and there was a general intersectionality then. A kind of they, it was. Uh, one author called it the greening of America, um, where people's uh, consciousness was being raised about all issues and how they all all connected together. Um, so, what what role can the Montessori movement play in addressing all these things in um, in eradicating systemic racism? Um, given that it's not enough just uh, not to be racist yourself, but to work actively to to ensure that there is equality for everyone. I think that 
part of the issue is that, first of all, by saying we are not racist, we are not really acknowledging our own limitations because there is part of a prejudice in each one of our hearts. There will be things that will come up, which will, well, I, I certainly know for myself that I sometimes say things which um, are not appropriate and that I need to question where they my comments have come from and uh, what it really means. So I think that first and foremost, we need to address our own attitudes and Second and foremost, we really need to really, really listen to each and every child in our classroom. We really need to hear their stories, um, and we need to hear their stories more than once, because if you hear something once, it's easy to forget it, but if there is a repeated story, it will be very different. And I go back to Vivian Gassin Paley, who, when she um, reviewed her book for a second edition in year 2000, she admitted for the first time that um, what prompted her to write the book in 1973 was a group of Black parents who came to a parent-teacher conference and who challenged her and her colleagues on the fact that the Black children are never seen in the same way as the white children. And she herself said that um, she wondered why she didn't use this um, experience in the introduction of the book in 1973. She only disclosed it in the year 2000. So it has taken her personally um, over 20 years to come to terms with our own limitations of being able to hear all the children in, this, in the way that they need to be heard. And it, the story is not always the same, but we need to be able to accept what the children are offering us. And we need to be able to hear them in the voice that they give us because they may use different language. And again, we try to standardize them into what we think is appropriate um, language. But if you think um, about um, the child who comes from a West Indian family, they will use a turn of phrase which will be unique to their family or um, the children who... She, she uses some really beautiful anecdotes in the book to illustrate how easy it is to be blind. And it is only when you hear these things over and over again that you begin to engage with it. And since we are such important um, people in the children's lives, since... Um, the earliest educator is often the first person that the children meet beyond their immediate family. We really need to, again, re-examine everything we do in context of the children's experience and uh, ensure that we continue to question our own actions first and also have the courage to challenge the actions of our colleagues or of some families as they um, express their own concerns for their own child's well-being or as they express their approach or judgments about children. 
I think it is first accepting the children who they are is very, very important. That, that listening to the child and their family and each one as an individual is surely unique to um, Montessori in the educational sphere. And it's um, a huge advantage um, of the relevance uh, of making Montessori relevant in the context of all of these movements for reform and, and rethinking the way we, we think and we live. Um, a lot of people who are familiar with Montessori will know that a lot of the early learning, just to get a bit prosaic, is about understanding categories. And this helps the child to order their mind and to prepare them for language and uh, reading, speaking, and writing. Um, and you know, you already mentioned things like the classified cards and the continent boxes, uh, which contribute to this. And we need to be careful about what categories are being taught. But racism is a kind of, it's a sort of cruel way of categorizing people. Uh, so how can we in the classroom make sure that we help children to classify everything in the world, but not people, but to see people as individuals? Well, I think that we need to begin first again with ourselves. And uh, not to be colorblind, because we often say, yes, but this doesn't happen in my classroom, or we don't really discriminate. Um, right. When we re-examine again, we will see that we do. Um, and I think that we need to demonstrate that there is a difference. Uh, even our white skin, my white skin is not the same as yours. We are, each one of us are different. Uh, so um, looking at the beauty of um, each child with what they bring is a very, very important um, recognition, yes, that we are different, but the way you are is still beautiful. It's still something that uh, I love for what you are and what you bring to our experience of life together because the world is so multifaceted. So helping the child understand the richness um, that um, race and cultures and each child brings into the classroom and valuing it for what it is, is really, really the importance of the classification. You know, when you are classifying insects, you don't say um, we don't we step on the ant because we don't like it. Uh, uh, we will <laughs> always right. encourage the child. I mean, it's it is a maybe a bit uh, bizarre <laughs> analogy, but I think that it is um, demonstrating that you respect each and every bit of life that is around us. Yeah, no, I think that's right. It's what also what makes life interesting is the diversity of, of experience. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And it's how we approach some of these questions from the children. Um, I um, have got a friend who has done a lot of fostering, and one of the children that she fostered was um, adopted by a um, um, gay family. And um, when our granddaughter has um, met him last summer, she said, but he has got two daddies. She noticed 
straight away the difference and she was curious about it mm -hmm. and all that need it needed uh, for me to say to her well that's how it is in some families you have got mummy and daddy in some families you have got two daddies but did you hear how nicely he spoke about his daddies how happy he was in the family that he lived in the same way as you are and if we don't feel comfortable visit ourselves of course the children will sense that so it is there's a huge amount yes. of work that yeah. we need to do on ourselves in order to be able to make all these challenges of current life acceptable for the children as they experience them themselves so respect for oneself, um, which is, uh, as you've been saying, at the heart of Montessori, naturally, in my view, leads on to respect for others. And But the converse, so self-loathing, also leads on to the loathing of others, so including racism and other kinds of prejudice. And sadly, self-loathing seems to have come to be the dominant psychological attitude amongst many in the West, especially among journalists and intellectuals and... and um, and young people. So do you think that Montessori, if, if it only could become more widespread, would help to change that, could actually change the underlying psychology of our age? I think the whole of education needs to re-examine the emotional elements of our existence. For so long, we have looked at um, how we process knowledge and um, the whole cognitive aspects of education, totally forgetting that no child can really learn unless they feel comfortable in the classroom where they are in. So being accepted is an absolutely essential prerequisite of optimum opportunities for learning. Being celebrated for who you are, again, encourages the child in self-worth. Being autonomous in physical actions, in um, decision-making, in capacity to express one's feelings, again, predicates how the child feels about themselves. So for me, the important work that we need to do is on the child's well-being and sense of belonging as first prerequisite of all education. And only then will we be able to give the child an opportunity to see others as they see themselves. So if you don't see, if you don't have a positive self-image, how can you project it onto somebody else? How can you accept those people as um unique and special and somebody you need to respect if you don't respect yourself. Okay, uh, let's leave it there. Thank you once again to Barbara and David. Um, and we'll be back in our next episode with some guests to continue this discussion. <laughs>